always grown up thinking that my first major would be the U.S. Open, and to have it happen in this fashion was special. Bryson DeChambeau is a U.S. Open champion. Okay, two majors down, two to go in the men's golfing season. And for US Open week here, powered by Pinnacle, why not delve into trying to work out who on earth is going to get the business done at LA Country Club come Sunday night, the 123rd staging of the famous US Open. We've never seen it staged on this golf course, such as the nomadic nature of this event. One thing is for sure, though, it is going to be a tricky test of golf. So tasked with maintaining our good form at guiding you through the runners and riders this year so far. With me, James Gregg, here on Major Talk, former LET star and now Sky Sports analyst, coach, and one of my favourite people to talk about golf with, Sophie Walker, and a man who has been on fire so far on our podcast this year, Brian Nicholson, who, for you real keen beans, is an author of several brilliant books, Hypnotised by Numbers, Angles and Edges, and the Modern Sports Betting Trilogy. I can't think of anyone better to spend the next 30 minutes or so discussing uh, what's in store this week. Pinnacle.com is something that you should probably have in your hands. And just looking at all the odds ahead of this week, things will change, of course, as the week develops. So get your bets on early is uh, what I what I would suggest because we like to swing the markets a little bit <laughs> with some of our picks. Um, it's one of those um, where I think we'll just talk about the course first of all, because but for weeks and weeks and weeks, people have been waxing lyrical about this as a venue. But for betting terms, we actually don't have a clue about it. I think it's staged a few LA Opens 40, 50 years ago. But other than that, we've got no sem- sample size whatsoever. So how do we go about trying to work out who's going to come out on top on a golf course that we don't know a great deal about. Brian and Sophie, take it away. Uh, yeah, so again, I just like uh, I like to read the quotes and stuff. Um, so it's pretty close to Riviera. So I heard when a lot of the guys were playing there just earlier this year, they actually went and they played at a country club. So um, I think Fleetwood played a practice round with um, Shane Lowry and all that. And Rory was there. He said he didn't play because conditions are going to be much different or much softer back down. It's going to be much faster and firmer on it now. But just reading all the quotes and all that, um, I kind of got that. Like Larry was on about he could be 50 yards back in the fairway or 50 yards further down on the rough, and it's not really going to matter. You know, they're going from there. He's kind of so what he's kind of saying is off the tee is not that important this year. It's all about the second shot. And then creativity and imagine you know imagination around the greens and stuff like that. And um, I have a little team in mind this week that it's going to be sort of like you know Sedgefield, like a Donna Ross kind of. A lot of the greens are sloping back to front, not so undulating, but they're sloping back to front. And they were taught that the guys were saying you can't short side yourself, you can't go over the greens and all that. And I have that kind of down as an angle, and I'm looking for guys that are kind of performing well at Sedgefield over the years. And, a few of them coming up onto the radar this year. So yeah, okay. just a lot of player quotes and I like kind of looking at that kind of thing, you know? Okay, that's nice. Um, Sophie, what have you kind of worked out really from about LA Country Club? Well, I look at what players like, um, who plays well on West Coast compared to East Coast. So you'd be looking at somebody like Max Homer, who was has won nearly every single PGA event over on that West side. We didn't pick up on Brooks Kepka. The New York thing, did we? And hold our hands up. So we're looking into more of that now. 
the, the course setup is by the USGA. So I'm also looking for players that have done well around those types of golf courses. So you're looking at US amateurs, US juniors. Matt Fitzpatrick won the US Open last year. He was a US junior, sorry, a US amateur champion in the past. And then I've just been over um, on the men's DP World Tour and I sat and spoke with Sean Crocker last night over a drink and he was saying that the greens at LA Country Club are massive, absolutely massive. He says you could hit every single green for 18 holes and walk off with 80. There'd be parts of the greens that you'll, it, like you were saying there, Brian, that there's a subtlety to it. It's not like Augusta slopes, but you're that far away. And if you leave yourself above the hole, even if it's a yeah. two, three footer, you've got a 10 footer coming back. So that feeling of, yes, second shots are important, not just hitting the green, it's where you hit. And I'm also looking at players that don't three put too often. Yeah, so I've got actually, in the model, I've actually got lag putting as one of the big kind of key metrics. And I've weighted that strongly in the model as well. So uh, what you were saying there, above the hole. And, and the thing is about um, Memorial, uh, Murfield Village, is, it's very similar. You can't short, just short size yourself there or leave yourself above the hole. So if you could actually, I'd say the leaderboard at Memorial would be maybe a good guide to maybe what will happen this week. And whoever is going to play well there, you know, it might look a little similar. Hovland is like um, tee to green machine, but I'm just a little worried about Hovland. If he misses the greens here, it's not like Memorial where, you know, just tick rough where you can just, it kind of negates some of the, you know, the better guys' ability there. Whereas there is tick rough around the greens here too, but there's also real deep bunkering and a lot of sort of mongrel areas and runoff areas. So I think guys like Jordan Speed are going to absolutely love. And even Phil Nicholson, remember he did a key, Kiowa Island out of nowhere. And that was all about kind of, you know, creativity and imagination and, you know, imagination on the greens and what you can do with the short game and you know, pop up again. It's, um, it's classic in the build up to a US Open week. If you open Twitter and you follow any kind of amount of golf people, you're seeing all these videos of people dropping the yeah, ball into so- the rough and going, look how thick this is. And, I mean, does anybody need that anymore? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> but maybe it's, that's- only in certain, it's only in certain places as well. So I've seen other pictures and big false fronts on the greens and runoffs down in like really tight areas. And, you know, I think I'd like to call them Markella and It's, um, it's been an interesting week in golf. We were going to talk a little bit about the merger and how that's going to affect sports betting. But in truth, we don't know any of the finer details yet. I think, I suspect by the time we record our Open Championship podcast in a few weeks' time, we will have a better idea as to what it's going to look like in terms of players rejoining the PGA Tour and if they're actually going to be allowed to do that, if they're going to be playing on reduced status, if it's going to be sponsors' invites, whatever. So we'll kind of skip over that, I think. Um, just to mark your card, I think it seems strange recording a golf podcast and not mentioning that. Um, clearly, it is going to change the golfing landscape, but not at the moment. It's not going to affect this week, certainly. So we'll kind of skirt around that for the moment, wait for those details, and then hopefully come middle of July, we've got a better idea as to how things are going to look. Um, you mentioned Victor Hovland there, Brian. Um, I think, actually, I'm going to chuck a name in this early, early doors. I actually think he does provide the best chance for a European winner um, because he's not missed a cut this season. He's playing a lot better. You know, obviously the short game was something you mentioned, but it's he's turning that not into a strength yet, you wouldn't say, but it's certainly not a, 
glaring weakness of his game yet. However, you are right in saying that these venues aren't your traditional short game. Um, you well, know, it's interesting. It's interesting what Sophie said there. Like she said, the greens are so big. Maybe he doesn't miss a green. Eighty percent plus TIR percentage. Yeah. He does play the he tough fly away from well. the field. Huh? He does play those tough golf courses really well, yeah, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he so, loves them, yeah. Um, nobody, there's only been two people defend a US Open title um, in history, and uh, one of those is Brooks Kepka, of course. Matt Fitzpatrick, decent form, just outside the top 20 at the Canadian Open. He had a top 10 at the Memorial. Obviously, the defending champion from last year at Brookline. How do we like his chances, Sophie? Because he's sneaky long these days and um, his short game, you know, all-round game is very solid. And like you mentioned, the USGA setup link as well. Yeah, I always seem to look at Americans, though, for, for US Open because just, you know, of how well they play. Seven out of the last 11 are Americans that are one round there. I think last year was a standout because he'd won at Brookline before. And many of us have said, a bit like Tommy Fleetwood, if he's going to win one, we think it'll be a US Open or an Open Championship. He's, he's under the radar this year a little bit more than last year. He was certainly trending. But like you say, that defending champion tagline, um, it doesn't it doesn't get done very often so that's what would put me off from that just the fact that not many people defend the us open it's a big week to be the the national champion of america the media will be all over him and have lots of commitments obviously he's quite a pro pga tour player he would have been offered money i'm sure to go to live turned it down I, i imagine amongst the players there'll be a little bit of disgruntlement the ones that didn't take it and the ones that did maybe they've got a bit more of a a stride a bounce in their step i think so you're right and a weight in their pockets (laughs) (laughs) it's an immeasurable i think uh, i think matt um like i said some of the quotes are saying it doesn't really matter what you do off the tee anyway it's kind of uh He's got he's got a real good short game, obviously. So it's just it's just it, you know mathematically it's just hard to win a golf tournament. It doesn't matter if you won last week, and what you know it's just still you know what is he twenty five to one or something like four percent chance. Yeah, well, if you're worth uh, if you have done what what I kind of recommended you do at the start of the podcast, and you've got the odds up, you'll likely see that Scotty Scheffler is yeah. the, is the favourite. How do we rate that in terms of value? Because I just think at eight and a half to win the US Open, a tournament that, okay, he's been, he's done okay in previously, but it's not one that you really, it's not one where it springs to mind. You think, yes, yeah, this is Scotty Scheffler's week. That's, um, that's, that's really poor value, isn't it? Yeah. So I think the US Open of all the four majors are the, is, the, is the one where you want to take on the market leaders because the courses are so tough. What, in the, there are courses where if you make a mistake, even a little mistake, you're going to get punished, right? Not like even, even on the ghost stand, you can get away with it, kind of. But here, it can cost you one, two, even three shots. And if you're, you know, let's say Ram, a guy with a little bit of a, a bad temperament, uh, you know, you can bring one bad hole into another. One. That's why I think it's a real, it's a real problem. Unless you're playing the Open Championship where it's real windy. 
that's probably the toughest test. But other than that, then US Open, uh, toughest kind of course. There's been only nine, only nine players finished on a part of Brookline. And this actually has a kind of Brookline feel. I, I kind of just looking at the pictures, it, it kind of feels like a woodland stroke, peatland kind of terrain and the bunkers and that kind of thing. And yeah, it's that, it's that kind of course. And now I just think. If you're, if you're taking the shorter prices this week, you're, you're not going to get much value out of that. Let's throw some names into the ring then. Because um, we're, we're sort of, we're talking about all the characteristics. We're talking about the golf course. Um, Sophie Walker, you have written a piece for Pinnacle.com. I've not peeked at it yet. But give us a bit of a general gist as to some of the names that you're really touting on there. Well, I'm always asked to, to put a favourite, and it is Scotty Scheffler because of his, his such consistent form. But then moving down to what would fit my model, um, maybe a little bit more of, more of a playing model, I suppose, over the Brian stats. I've got uh, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley. Both of them are, are very consistent. Neither of them have won a major, but that's okay. Five out of the last seven US Open winners have been first-timers. Um, Cantley qualified for the US Open when he was 19 years old. He's finished inside the top 15 in all of the last four majors. Both of them are under 70 in their stroke average. Um, and Xander Shoffley's six in approach and 11th in strokes gained putting. And mentality-wise, these guys are built for US Opens. Patience, I think people nicely use about Patrick Cantley's pace of play. Um, Xander has that street fighter, back against the wall style. Both of them, um, as I say, Californian guys, I would have expected Cantley to have played played this course considering he went to UCLA College, so it can't be that far away. And it's time, isn't it? You know, when we talk about the best players that have not won a major, those two are, are right up there. You spoke, didn't you, about Brad, about Memorial. Both great fits for there, obviously. Yeah. So they're my two, um, my, my, my real two. I mean, Shoffley's record is just insane. He had five top tens in a row at US Open, which only got stopped last year and it was 14th. <laughs> so, I mean, he's trending in the US Open. They're my, they're my kind of below those top three that we talk about seemingly every podcast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, just to give the listeners a bit of an idea of the kind of value that you're looking at there, uh, Cantlay 18, as we speak here on pinnacle.com and then Xander Schofle out at 23, which I think is pretty decent. You know, I mean, look, they're still inside the top 10 in terms of favorites, but I think that that is where you get in your value in comparison to Scotty Scheffler, perhaps, even though he is the world number one and uh, is shown lots of consistent form and seemingly your favourite on the here on the article as well. Um, just looking a little bit further afield, there's quite a lot of names that are catching my eye that are the live golfers. But as we've seen so far this season, well, mainly because of Brooks Kepka winning at the uh, USPGA Championship at Oak Hill, we know that that makes. No difference now in the majors. The live thing, not a problem. Doesn't matter if we're seeing them week in, week out at Memorial, Colonial, TPC, Craig Ranch, wherever. It doesn't make a difference. 
that if, if you geared up for major golf, you geared up for major golf. Maybe in five years' time, if this lifting was carrying on and they were still playing the Mickey Mouse courses in Florida and shooting 25 under, it might have had a bit of a bearing on it. Um, but Brooks Kepka, third favourite, 13 on Pinnacle at time of recording. It's very difficult to try and work out a reason to not back Brooks Kepka, Brian. Yeah, I just... Um... So I'm kind of just looking at the market and I'm, I'm literally just not distinguishing between any tours at all now. I'm just seeing it as, as it was. So if I just looked at Brooks, I just saw his price. I just thought that was it was the correct price. So that's the only reason I wouldn't be interested there. Like, you know what I mean? And he does have the perfect profile for this kind of thing. But like Sophie, I'm, I'm kind of siding with the kind of, I call them grinders as well this week. So I got it wrong last time with Jordan Speeds. I think I said I, I kind of fancy him with the, you know, beware the injured golfer and all that, but it turns out he was quite injured. But now that injury is uh, subsiding. I really do like him again this week, and he's 26.16 at Pinnacle. And I put so there's a bit of a subjective analysis, obviously, and with my model this week, since I don't know the course too well. But I put the premiums in, and he comes out at a course fit rating of 9.37, which is huge, basically. And just looking at a few stats, he's, um, again, some of the key iron ranges. He's uh, 15th in 125 to 150 yards, 6th in 150 to 175 yards, which I think is going to be the main stat in terms of approach this week. At 7th in scrambling, we all know how good he is, you know, on and around the greens. And if you're talking about, you know, creativity and imagination around the greens, I, you know, Phil Mickelson, um, Justin Thomas maybe, but... Jordan Speed just jumps out a mile in that kind of area. And, you know, you can get up and down from everywhere. And it's just all mental performance as well, or mental attitude. And another one would be that, so that we were talking about the lag putting earlier. He's 26 in approach book performance. Again, warm up at Memorial T5. Um, I just, and he's a really, really, really competitor, obviously. So I actually think Speed. They turn out to be one of the guys to be even ahead of some of the market leaders this week. You're getting twice the price and speed as you are of some of the other guys. So for me, he's a great bet this week. Okay. Speed, yeah. Okay, there we have it. There we have it. Um, winless this season, of course, Jordan Speed. Okay, um, next week. <laughs> I like that a lot. 26 um, on pinnacle.com at time of recording. Um, Looking further afield, Tyrrell Hatton been playing some really nice golf and, you know, has a solid all-round game. Had a brilliant 64 in the final round to nearly post a number to give the leader something to think about at the Canadian Open. Um, I'm just trying to look down a little bit further afield. It's a, a name that's caught my eye, and this might not necessarily be somebody who's going to win the US Open. It's hard to imagine that, actually. Um but at 72 at pinnacle.com, and we'll get, get into kind of outsiders here a little bit, is Ricky Fowler. And Ricky Fowler's game has been trending in the right direction all season long. Much improved ball striking performances, much improved around the greens. The putter has got better and better all year long. That's not a bad shout, is it? At 72. I think at, at, at Memorial, he was right there, wasn't he? A par fine around that kind of pushed him down was a memorial and he pushed him down the, the leaderboard a bit and it's maybe a bigger price this week but 
Yeah, when he was in his prime, he was a brilliant ball striker and he was a great scrambler and putter. And again, the perfect kind of profile you'd be looking for this week. So I looked at him myself there around that price and I said, yeah, not a bad, not a bad bet at all. But I haven't actually got him on the shortlist, but I definitely wouldn't put anybody off backing him at that price. Yeah, you mentioned Hatton there, though. I do have him on the shortlist. He's 38.29 pinnacle and he's just an absolute all around machine, basically. Belf that memorial there. Missed out on him by a shot last week, obviously, for the playoff. He's third in strokes game total. Strokes game putting, he's seventh, 11th in approach. And interestingly enough, so going into this week on hard course, you want the guys who are really at the top of the form now. Uh, he's 11th in scrambling. He's fourth in total putting, fourth in approach book performance. Again, he said light putting is going to be, you know, up there this week. Uh, course fit nine. Um, Material again, it's going to be how he, how he reacts to a bad hole or two, you know what I mean? If you can keep that under control, I mean, he, he's gone on birdie, he's probably he's gone birdie crazy. I think he, he birdied the last four holes again yesterday to, to get to 16 under. So, uh, yeah, did. I think he's going to win one, a big one, and he's going to win one soon. So, he's definitely on my radar this week as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Nearly 40, I'd be definitely on side with material, yeah. Nice. Sophie, any more names you want to throw at us um, from that kind of top to middle bracket? Well, when I wrote my article, it was just in rows, but I, I imagine after a decent finish last week at the Canadian Open, he's probably shrunk a little bit. He's inside the top 30 in the world, and that's a number you've got to look at for a player that's going to win the US Open. Top 30 in the world is the is a very key stat for the winners. You don't get that randomer that we might have seen at a, an Open Championship or a PGA at times. It, it just doesn't happen with a, a US Open. And with it being Ryder Cup year, I think he's in now. But what a push he's done by winning at Pebble Beach. So he was my kind of middle one. But my um, outsider is a guy that is literally just qualified for, for the US Open. So I don't even know if his, his odds will be in there. Is, is Eric Cole's odds in there? Eric Jay? Cole, let's have a look. Um, as of time of recording, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. But I know, so, what, yeah, yeah, that's a good shout, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's top 10 last week. So we talk about players in form. He's from California. He came 15th at the PGA. He is the second best putter on tour. And he hasn't had a three put in 331 holes. Now, luckily, Brian said it didn't matter too much off the tee this week. So if that's the case, then he'll look pretty good. My only worry is he's on his 10th straight week in a row, which is unbelievably insane. That is crazy. Um, but he's a rookie, and they love it, don't they? they they'll learn when they get another five years. Run on adrenaline, maybe yeah. this year, this week, and then take a break. Exactly. You know, from Palm Springs, it's California, and like, oh my goodness, the US Open in like my home state. Hopefully, it'll, it'll run on fumes. Um, well, but I thought the way he sets up to it and that form that he carries, it might just be worth looking. So. Hopefully, when they, it is updated finally, because there is a lot of people that qualify a bit late on for this US Open, just keep an eye out for him. He's inside the top 100 in the world, and I think his odds will be nice. nice yes, yeah, they will be, won't they? Yeah, purely by virtue of the fact that he's, you know, he's a relative unknown. And we mm. say that, I mean, you know, even as people who really follow the game, 
Um, he's you know he's had some good finishes, lost in a playoff at the Honda Classic to Chris Kirk, had some of the good top fives, and then obviously, like you say, a, a really strong finisher, course record equal in 63 on Sunday, um, yesterday at the Canadian Open. So I think that that's a good shout, Sophie, really nice, because, you know, you don't really go for players outside the top 30 in the world. That's a bit of a rule of thumb that I think is worth stressing when we're looking at a US Open winner. But I think we can make a little exception for Eric Cole, just purely because 10 weeks in a row, though, come on, that guy's going to need a three-week holiday somewhere. Um, and he's in some cash this year. <laughs> I actually have a very similar, so I, I put him into the product stroke grinder kind of, you know, category as well. And I have a very similar guy to him on my shortlist as well, which is Denny McCarthy. So he's in, in fine form, obviously, this week. He's really disappointed to miss out there at Memorial. And um, so his strength is on the green. He's first in putting inside 10 feet this season. And, you know, like you said earlier, we're going to, like, three, four footers going back. They're going to be very important this week. He's fought in Strauss game, putting all together. He um, he actually said in an interview after the Memorial, he was really good at it, but he was really positive that he'd be back. He says he loves grinder-type courses. He loves the hard courses, the hard setups. He's... Um, you know, he's not off the tee. He's not. That's probably his weakness. And we said earlier that doesn't really matter so much this week. So, um, yeah, I thought that I mentioned the Sedgefield link earlier. That I, I think there's a Sedgefield kind of link. So he has he's averaged fifteenth there in the last three events, and that's the, the recent three events there. He's averaged fifteenth, so he's always kind of there. Um, he was top ten at the Wells Fargo. That's in you know, Quail Hollow was in a real you know, championship course. Uh, the progressive four model is uh, 9.0 out of 10. I just, yeah, I think, you know, he's had, he's had a week now to get over his memorial down, and I really, I can see him just coming up, you know, even if he's not challenging him from the top, as an outsider for like a top 10 kind of bet or something like that. And I think he's a really similar player in profile to Eric Cole, just really steady Eddie kind of players. And like Sophie says, I think we can see any kind of player win this this week. Um it's all it's gonna be it's gonna be about approach and in approach and round and on the greens and guys that you know keep the bogeys off the cards. Difficult to disagree with that actually, Brian. And also 120 on Pinnacle, that is serious value, particularly since you know you don't get into a playoff to have a crack at winning the memorial if your game's not looking sharp. And then he's obviously, like you say, had that week off. So, you know, it's not like he's coming straight into it completely burnt out, you know. It, it, it wasn't, it was, it was just more that, like, you'd see he was visibly very upset, but he was really adamant that, he, he, you know, he'd be back. It wasn't going to stop him. So, I like, I love that about him. He yeah. like really competitive nature. Not just, uh, not just, yeah, right, like, we can back him in the sub-markets, we can back him top 10, top 20. The prices are out there, and... Yeah, I think that's definitely something to look at. But I really do think the Sedgefield link is something this week. That when you see the greens, the greens floating right to front greens, yeah, that's what Sedgefield is all about. And just Bermuda up in Sedgefield as well. And it's a you know, approach. And then like you go on around the greens there. And I think you could see some, you know, some correlations at the top of the board between players that do well there and don't make too well this week. Okay, into the last five minutes of the podcast, we're just going to talk about anything else that we want to talk about before we wrap up. Um, something I do want to point out is that Sergio Garcia 
since turning professional has never not qualified for a US Open until it looked like this year when obviously all of his exemptions from winning the Masters and having strong finishes on the PGA Tour, that kind of thing, because he jumped ship and gone to live and not had any decent showings in any of the majors recently, he wasn't exempt. So what did he do? Very un-Sergio-like thing to do this. Got on a plane, went and played qualifying, 36-hole qualifier, got himself in. That's a man who's taking this very, very seriously. You think at his stage of his career and some of the stories that you hear about him, I won't go into it, but you, you wouldn't have really thought that that was an attitude that he would adopt. Clearly, he means a bit of business. You've got to have a sharp game to qualify for a US Open. I'm, I know yeah. that you might think, well, these US Open qualifiers, how hard they can, can they be when you've won the Masters? Trust me, the standard is incredibly high. He's out at 189 on Pinnacle. And I'm not saying that Sergio Garcia is going to win the US Open because we've got nothing to base that kind of outlandish comment on. However, he's clearly in the right headspace. His game's all right. I can't believe he's way down at 189 on Pinnacle.com. I think if you're going to put some little bit of extra cash that you've got on something, throw it away, maybe just a little top 10 for Sergio, because I think that that would be something that you can clearly imagine happening. Um, if, you're talk, if you're talking profile, again, Sergio is that perfect profile for the doors. Great short game on the Spanish hands. Well, the ball striking. Ball striking, shot shaping. And, yeah, we're just approached by um, what he can do around the greens, which is going to be really important this week. So if he's qualified there over 36 holes, he's probably got that working. So we don't know, obviously, because of the day, we don't know exactly how they've been playing a lot of the time. Exactly. Yeah, if you're focusing on the qualifiers and Obviously, he's in, he's in good form then. So, yeah, it's a big price. Yeah, it's a big, big price. Okay, Sophie, anything, any other business before we wrap up? I just looked at the weather. It looks pretty consistent all week, about 20, 21 degrees, very, very light winds, no rain. So in terms of side of the draw, you don't need to worry about that. That's good. That's a really important thing to point out because we've seen that, haven't we? Um, pretty much... Every big event that I can think of this year, the weather has played a part in terms of, you know, Thursday, Friday. Anyway, there we go. That's a good that's a good thing to look out for. Definitely keep an eye on that as we get a bit closer. Maybe Wednesday night, if you're still sort of working out some of your picks and you're leaving it that late, definitely have a look at that weather forecast. Um, important point. Brian, any other business before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll just drop in a few from the Sedgefield LinkedIn, a few of them. I think Justin Rose actually has a good uh, record at Sedgefield going back a long way as well. But there's three guys I have from um, in my earlier in the year or last year. Um, Tom Kim, he started with a quadruple bogey or something at Sedgefield and then ended up blitzing the, the field in the tournament. So yeah. he obviously likes the course. There's Russell Henley as another. He's uh, three top tens the last three years at Sedgefield. He's uh, approach wise, he's in my profiles, he's 10 out of 10 in both short and long irons. Um, he was actually second last year to, I think, probably Marikawa in the approach stats. But um, last few years, we actually looked closely. He's nearly as good as Marikawa in the, pro- in the approach stats of the official sites. Now, the other one is Sibu Kim, who absolutely loves Sedgefield. He's, uh, he's one there. He has a second, third, another fifth. So these kind of guys, I think, and they're all they're really handsomely priced as well. And Siri was in brilliant form at the moment. He's like, uh, he's playing some of the best stuff he's been playing in a long time, actually. So Tom Kim is a bit in and out of form, yeah. But Siri is, um, he's right up there last week as well, actually. So uh, 
he's definitely one to look at now. He, he's 100.64 at um, Pinnacle and his progressive form 9.4. So he's fourth at Memorial. And uh, yeah, again, he's, he's averaging 7.5 in the approach range from 150 to 200 yards on tour. And he's 26th in scrambling. Again, with him, it'd be just his mentality. You can't keep it going and has one or two bad problems. He can. I mean, he's won the players' championship, so I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him actually win this. Never mind top ten. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating. Looking forward to seeing this golf course, um, Brian. Been, been hit, they call it hidden gem or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, there is, and I think actually the way that all the pundits and people who know that part of the world have been going on about it, it's going to be a cracking, uh, cracking week. And if the weather is nice, that's it, that's good enough for us. Uh, Sophie, Brian, thanks so much. Uh, that is another yeah. episode of Major Talk done and dusted. Is the year's third men's golfing major, the US Open Championship at LA Country Club. Hopefully, you've gained a little bit of betting insight there. Of course, all odds were correct at the time of recording. I want to point you once again into the direction of Sophie's article previewing the tournament and also Brian's piece talking about the potential impact of this live and PGA Tour merger. We'll report back in July ahead of the Open Championship. And all that remains for me to say is thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>